Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea. Talking Northern Ireland. Woo! Episode 26. Yeah. I don't know why I differed from the usual. Anyway, you read that thing now. <laughs> we come to you from Mokinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsina Nations, the Iahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes on the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you're on by looking at native-land.ca. The sources for the show today, Britannica, history.co.uk, history.com, rochester.edu, irishcentral.com, which was a lot more difficult than I thought that was going to be. <laughs> Irish Irishcentral. <laughs> bbc.co.uk and irishtimes.com. Whoa, uh, yeah. Northern Ireland today. Yeah, well, why Northern Ireland is, like why this is even a topic today. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily Northern Ireland today. Right. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we're not. Oh, I see what you mean. Talking Northern Ireland, comma, today. Yes. No, we're not talking about <laughs> what, what happened on, um, as we're recording this, September 21st, uh, 2021 in wow. Northern Ireland. Wow. We're not just going to read from irishtimes.com. <laughs> I definitely misunderstood what you said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, thank you for downloading this episode and all the ones before. And thank you. Uh, we had some technical difficulties last week. The technical difficulties were me. So Ooh. thank you for letting us have a little break again. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can deliver to you week after week this flawless material that we are known for producing right yes yes <laughs> known around the world for known producing. globally actually since you mentioned around the world i wanted to say something about uh the geographical location of the people who download this podcast okay um, so thank you for also letting me stall while I look up <laughs> <laughs> the geographical while, location. While you are stalling, or do you still no, need no, to no, stall? No, 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 please go. Uh, again, just wanted to say thank you and remember to rate, review, subscribe yes. um, wherever possible. Those do help out a lot. And we just want feedback. We want to know what we're doing right and what we're doing uh, not as right. I won't say wrong because we're pretty <laughs> close to perfect. Nothing um, is wrong. Yeah, but just let us know what you would like to hear on the uh, the, the shows because we have a lot of fun doing these and we would like more people to hear them. So yes, let us know. So what I wanted to mention, obviously a lot of our listeners are friends and family and loved ones that live mm -hmm. close to us in Alberta. Uh, we definitely have a few listeners in BC. I can see on this little map here, we have some listeners in uh, southern Ontario. So I'm going to guess that's Toronto area. Okay. Uh, I can't zoom in the map far enough or else the dots disappear. Uh, but interestingly enough, about 12% of our listeners are in the States. Oh, that's fun. Even though I week after week come on here and shit on the States. Well, that's an entire industry down there. So that's fine. <laughs> um, so thank you, our US listeners. Yeah. Who have accidentally stumbled on this podcast and, and for some reason keep downloading it. And just remember between the two of us, which one of these hosts wants to provide more US history on this show? Right. Boys, boys get your back. Spoiler alert, it's not me. USA. USA. <laughs> um, I, I also want to say, hold on. Okay. I would like to also say thank you to our uh, our bronze medal downloaders, the lovely folks out in Australia. 
Oh, nice. Ah, oh, so sweet. Emu uh, Wars really took off. Yeah, great Emu yeah. Wars. Yes. Don't get it twisted. Right, sorry. Definitely helped us in that continent. I'd be down for doing some more Australian history stuff. Oh my God, I, they're I didn't fascinating. Know, I didn't know any of this shit today. So um, <laughs> learning about more things from Australia, I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff we could find. Oh, I, we could go country by country and I still wouldn't know shit. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, thank you to globally to our listeners. Right. Uh, shout out to Brazil, Austria, Norway, and the Ukraine as well for... Um, at least one person one time downloading this podcast. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> Shout outs. Shout outs. But anyways, I want to say that because I was looking and I was like, who from the US listened to any of our episodes and was like, yeah, I could listen to that again. <laughs> that um, girl had nice things to say about us. Yeah. It's, you know what it is? People <laughs> who appreciate those getting called out for lack of proper bases being made for statues. You know what? It probably was you. Yeah. They were like, you're right. Right. Fuck that base. <laughs> Shout out to our cat who just walked in and meowed. That yeah, we're definitely probably. leaving that in. It's definitely, um, we could probably hear that in, in when we listen to this back. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can pick her up for sure. Um, all right, should we get to it? Because there's a lot in here. And I'll be honest, we researched all of this. Um, we have our show doc that is ready. I still don't fully understand it all. So we're going to learn this together as Mm -hmm. we're going through this one today. I think just right off the bat, if I could boil this down into some like key points of why there is even a Northern Ireland controversy, Mm -hmm. um, we can go ahead and say uh, Catholic and Protestant differences had a lot to do with it, as well as British and Irish. I'm going to go ahead and say British settlers, but we all know what I mean. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, um, that as well. Yeah, I feel like the last um, few times we've talked about these sorts of things, it's been race related. So it's nice to play the hits of the the whole church thing coming back in, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah this, wow. this is this is another one from what I gathered, where it's the um, I, I believe I've used this line on the show before: "Giving a fuck where it ain't your turn to give a fuck." Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of what this whole thing is um, for all of it so mm-hmm. i again i didn't know any of this and hopefully you learned something along the way oh wow! Mm, i guess i'll start um the origins of the problems go back to 1167 made up year when england first tried to settle northern ireland or as it's in our notes me i got really <laughs> look ireland is kind of tricky to spell i keep putting the e after the l and i was like that's not right it is 2021. You can just right-click on it. and it Anyway, uh, despite the intermingling of the English and Irish population, the two were never completely united. As a result, two different populations with different interests found themselves living side-by-side side in a small area. These differences be- uh, became more marked during the reign of Henry VIII, or Henry the V. He introduced religion into (laughs) Irish politics for the first time. Resistance to the British crown came in 1534 when the Kildare heir, Lord Offaly. um, By the way. Lord Offaly. Yeah. Sneaky, amazing names in these. Um, I know I'm going to go a little long on the first reading part because I want the next one too. Okay. Um, So Old Offal led a Catholic revolt against the Protestant English king in Ireland. It was swiftly put down and those involved were executed. Mm -hmm. Um, To sum it all up, the Catholics revolted and the Protestant leadership killed them. 
So much fun. Uh, Elizabeth the first daughter of Henry the V. E. Continued her father's legacy in Ireland as she ruled from 1558 to 1603, a time called the Elizabethan Age. Elizabethan. Elizabethan, whatever. Elizabethan sounded more fun. <laughs> um, a bid for independence by Hugh O'Neill, who I think coached the Raptors. <laughs> Earl of Tyrone. Woo! Was not expecting that. No, the Earl of Tyrone? Yeah. I, I don't know what, like, I, I just... I will admit, I wasn't anticipating the name Tyrone coming up in a story about uh, Northern Ireland. You know what? It honestly is probably like like Hugh O'Neill, Earl of Tyrone, is probably Hugh O'Neill, Earl of Tyrone, or something like that. Like yeah. we're saying it T-Ron. absolutely. Yeah. This is a A.A.R.O.N. Right. situation where the a- substitute teacher. Be <laughs> nice. <in> the... Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, a bid for independence <laughs> by the Earl of Tyrone was ultimately defeated by the Queen's army with a harsh post-war settlement impeding future uprisings upri- uh, from the Catholic majority. Hmm. All the while, plantations were being established throughout the country. Lands occupied by Irish landowners were confiscated. Where have I seen this? Mm -hmm. Especially in Munster and Ulster. Ulster is that northern part that has these complications. Also, they have an album coming out, Munster and Ulster. Munster and Ulster. Real good folk album. (laughs) It's just like a couple Muppet-looking characters (laughs) that played, they both play drums. Yeah. They were uh, distributed to colonists, which is a fancy way of saying colonizer, and were commonly known as planters who came in large numbers from England, Scotland, and Wales. The final official plantation sprung up under Oliver Cromwell's English Commonwealth during the the 1650s when thousands of... Oh, my God. When thousands of parliamentarian soldiers were settled in Ireland. Nailed Nailed it. it. The plantations altered the demography of Ireland, and demography is a fancy word for the study of populations and changes that happen within them. Large Protestant English communities were also created, whose identity was at odds with the Roman Catholic Irish inhabitants. Again, this religion tie is kind of what makes the conflict happen. Um, A couple of notes. One, Oliver Cromwell, most English-sounding name ever. Um, perhaps, yes. Top five, for sure. Yeah. Uh, second one, the base that I established for uh, research from this for this episode yeah. came from um, history.co.uk. Yeah. And I just want to shout out history.co.uk because, like, I thought it was just soccer announcers who just said everything <laughs> with more elegance than uh, North American play-by-play announcers. That is not the case. Their, no. their history.co.uk is a whole lot better. Uh, not better. But it, it's just the way it is described. Everything Explicative. is described is just it. It's just different, and it's cool. Yeah, there was a lot of words that I had to either dumb down for myself, mm-hmm. or like I just did with the demography. I was like, "What the fuck is that?" Yes, yeah, and I, that was one. Because um, we do- left in as a nice surprise for me to Google. Well, I googled it too, and I was like, "There's no real." Whatever, I'm just going to leave it. There's It'll no substitution, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there isn't a clear and obvious way. There's no English translation for this English word. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sorry, I, we're going off on a tangent here. Mm-hmm. Um, season three of The Ultimate Fighter, Michael Bisbing from the UK speaking English and they needed subtitles. It oh was 
absolutely hilarious. Wow. Um, anyway. Cromwell's name is not just synonymous with uh, being super British sounding uh, or the establishment of plantations in Ireland, but with brutality. So I imagine that from the start of English people moving into Northern Ireland, there were just constant battles. But the Battle of Drogheda is definitely what I'm going to go with, sure. is one that stands out. In the fall of 1649, so made up, Cromwell laid siege to Drogheda, a town on the coast of Ireland, on the east coast of Ireland, sorry, which had a coalition of Roman Catholics, Confederates, and Royalists stationed in it, with their hope being to expel the English from Ireland. Showing no compassion, all 2,800 of Drogheda's defenders were massacred, and I do have a little side note here. Okay. And perhaps this is because uh, that tidbit of information came from the history.co.uk, emphasis mm-hmm. on the .uk. Mm. Uh, if you look up the Battle of Drogheda, it isn't necessarily called that. It's more often called the Siege of Drogheda ah. or the Massacre at Drogheda. You know, it's just one word, but it changes a lot. Yeah, so a fun little um, history is written by the victors side note here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it basically is that Catholic priests and friars were killed um, and a group tried to barricade themselves in the steeple of St. Peter's Church and they were burnt alive when Cromwell's troops set fire to the church. Well. So that changes. (laughs) So when we say that this dude is brutal, we do mean it. Yeah, showing no compassion doesn't seem to quite sum it up. (laughs) Yeah, like they can throw in the word demography pretty good here. Demography? Demography? Anyways, they can throw that in pretty easily. But then they are like, yeah, this Cromwell guy, he was a, he was a bit of a rough guy. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, I burned down a church with people inside because I don't like them. Yeah, he was a touch of a ruffian, but... Yeah, he's rough around the edges, but yeah. you know, you learn to love him. Yeah. Um, okay. That was interesting tidbit. That was good. Yeah. So just like, I don't know. When you when you research stuff about history, it's like always good to have multiple sources. Yes, exactly. Um, by the late 17th century, this is why, again, I love the writing from these sites. Mm-hmm. Um, dramatic voice. By the late 17th century, against a backdrop of battles and disputes, <gasps> which further mired relations between the two populations. Dun, 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 dun. The... <laughs> I don't know why that one got me. The position for Catholics was incredibly compromised. The Battle of the Boyne in 1690, in which the previously discarded Catholic King James II was defeated by Protestant King William III, ensured Protestant supremacy. The passage of penal laws... There it is. Limited Catholic property ownership even further while restricting their right to education and to bear arms and driving out the clergy. Even for those seemingly <laughs> unaffected. I'm still about whispering penal. <laughs> oh, if any sound clip sums up this show, it's I'm sorry I was laughing about whispering penal. <laughs> Even for those seemingly unaffected by the laws, the fact that ultimate control of their land lay in the hands of Westminster was pushing their limits. Around this time, a reform movement of, quote, patriots emerged that began to lobby for representation in Parliament. The first pushes of Irish uh, nationalism were being made. England could not ignore Ireland's call for independence. After all, the mood was ripe for unrest with both America and France already writing a musical to be starred in on the Disney Plus network later on. Uh, as they, <laughs> Yeah. New York City. 
1690. <laughs> Battle of the Boyne. <laughs> Penal. Doesn't really flow. But you it's can start to see. It's not as good of a musical. Yeah, you can start to see. At, at least a dramedy was being formed. Oh, my God. Um, but anyway, both America and France were experiencing revolution in the latter half of the 18th century. As a concession, the Penal. laws were relaxed. But this did not extinguish opposition. In 1798, a rebellion broke out in Ireland organized by the United Irishmen, a revolutionary Republican group who had been inspired by the revolutions of France and America. The rebellion lasted for several months despite successes in the southeast county of Wexford and the assistance of the French. It ultimately failed. In early 1801, the Act of Union was passed, which made Ireland and England one state as a result of the rebellion convincing William Pitt that this was necessary for national security. Out of this act, the United Kingdom was created, the Irish Parliament was abolished, and the Church of Ireland and England were united. 100 Irish MPs entered the House of Commons and 32 Irish peers entered the House of Lords. What is the House of Lords, you may ask? I asked myself the same thing. Kim, what is the House of Lords? <laughs> it's funny you should ask. <laughs> the House of Lords is basically another House of Parliament and it still exists today which I wasn't expecting when I first was like, what is the House of Lords? So the House of Lords and the House of Commons meet in the Palace of Westminster in London today and are the only body in the United Kingdom's constitutional monarchy government with the authority to create legislation and make laws. Huh. What? The House of Lords? Can I be part of this? <laughs> Definitely not. But can I? Yeah. So the House of Lords can debate bills that don't deal directly with financial matters to the country. It's in the House of Commons where they hold the ultimate sway um, over whether legislation ultimately becomes law. But the House of Lords does play a role in government accountability through its questioning of cabinet ministers and the, er, and the formation of special committees to address important matters of the state. Its members are now mostly appointees, not peers who inherit their seats in the House of Lords, which is how it worked while we're back in like 17, what did I say? 1798. Nope, 1801. So it was the House of Lords because you had to be a lord. And then when you died, your son most likely got your spot. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Right? Um. Also, while we were doing this, I was not expecting to stumble upon the formation of the United Kingdom. Um, no. So that was a, oh, shit. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> cool, and, I guess. And, yeah. And then, I mean, like, definitely not, but huh. Um, I also found it interesting because a lot of times, like in our history classes, we found out or we learned about Canadian independence, which we just kind of asked for, um, <laughs> American independence, which they fought for and won. And again, French, uh, gee, French, French, geez, French, um, <laughs> you put that on salads. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also the, um, France's revolution as well. Mm -hmm. And like all these places fighting for independence, winning. This was one of the first ones where I was like, and they fought for their independence and everyone died. Was, oh. Oh. I haven't come across that before. It's just kind of like one of those weird wrestling stipulations where it's like, whichever one, whichever Undertaker wins is going to be the real Undertaker. Oh, well, I guess this is the guy now. <laughs> um, it's just, yeah. It, it was just like, well, these people are fighting for their freedom, so they're eventually going to get it. And in this case, it was, uh, nope. It was, oh. Nope. 
huh. I haven't, I haven't come across many where they've lost to that yeah, before. Yeah, this was a twist. I was not expecting this yeah. story to take. Um, in response to the Union, the Catholic Association was formed by Daniel O'Connell, who turned it into a national movement campaigning for Catholic emancipation. In his debate, Ulster from Northern Ireland was singled out as a special case for the first time. And just a quick reminder here, Ulster is Northern Ireland. Oh, sorry. Ulster is northern, and then the... Right, Munster, Ulster, my bad. Yeah, there's, so there's four, like, kind of areas of yeah. Ireland. Northern is the Lunster. Ulster, yes. Ulster. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the British government's laissez-faire approach to the 1840s potato famine exacerbated the situation. By 1851, the Irish population had dropped by two million. That's a lot of people. As a result of death, disease, and emigration, the desire for an autonomous Ireland took on even more intensity and violence. Seeing this, British politicians recognized that a resolution to problems in Ireland was actually something they should probably consider. Probably work on that, yeah. Yeah, okay, we'll move that to the top of the to-do list. Yeah. <laughs> um, the formation of the Home Rule League, which sounds like a floor hockey thing, mm -hmm. in 1870 acted as a further catalyst for Prime Minister William Gladstone to put forward bills for uh, Irish self-government. Gladstone never got to see his wish for Home Rule come to light. Uh, both his 1886 and 1893 bills were never passed, in part because those years are made up. Uh, but the turn <laughs> of the century ushered in an age in which Ireland was firmly on the British political agenda as trying to get off of, as they were trying to get off of the British political agenda. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> <laughs> With the advent of World War One, a also oh sorry, um, I just wanted to say, again that that one is a direct line that I wanted to leave in. Mm. As if, like, like a lot of times is with the advent of the internet, with the advent of electricity, oh. <laughs> with the with just the the sprouting up of World War One. Oh, that old thing. Yeah. A distracted Britain offered the perfect setting for the Military Council of the IRB to plan an uprising. The Easter Rising of 1916 did indeed catch the British off guard. Nevertheless, the rebellion was swiftly crushed and the key figures rounded up. Again, this bit of research definitely came from history.co.uk. Mm -hmm. Emphasis on UK. Britain had won the battle, but they had not won the war. The subsequent brutal execution of the key figures turned these men into martyrs and gained further momentum for the cause. The Easter Rising was a good look for Sinn Féin, a political party at the time whose popularity surged. With the 1917 election of Iman de Valera, one of the surviving leaders of the uprising, to the presidency of Sinn Féin, all groups working towards an independent Ireland were unified under a single leadership. So Sinn Féin is a political party who he was, who Iman de Valera was, became the president of. They are a pro-Irish being separate group. Mm. I have another side note. Okay. About Iman de Valera. All right. Um, he was born in 1882 and died in 1975. So quick math would say that he is how old, Peter? Uh, 93? 80, 93 years old. So this man, who was born in 1882, uh -huh. died in 1975. Yep. So he was born in a made-up year. Okay. And he died in a real one. <laughs> Why is that so wild to me? <laughs> I saw this man's age and I was like, did anybody make it to 93? 
Probably not at that time, no. Probably not at that time, no. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not at this time either. Like that, that, that <laughs> is, that, that's an exceptionally long time to live regardless of what era you were living in. That's what I'm saying. So he held the position of prime minister three times in his life. Okay. And then president of the Republic of Ireland, a position he held until 1973. Oh. What? Dang. I know. Career I'm politician over here. Seriously. And then he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to go die in two years. Bye. <laughs> like, what? Sorry, guys. Planning on dying. Peace. <laughs> on, on, I'm 91, so I <laughs> better go. Deuces. Like, what? <laughs> Anyways, I when I read his name, I was like, who is this person? And then mm-hmm. I looked him up. I was like, oh, Jesus Christo, man. Yeah. This guy's old. Um, the end of World War One did not bring an end to problems for Britain or Ireland with issues remaining tense. During the first election since the wars closed, uh, 73 Sinn Féin candidates were elected. All of them refused to attend Westminster, forming their own Irish assembly, the Dale Iran. Iron? Iron? Iron. Iron. We should have asked your sister to go over some of these words. Yeah. She's learning Gaelic. Uh, Violent confrontations quickly broke out with atrocities committed on both sides. Okay, so I have another side note here. Okay. This, that was a quick turnaround. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's all good. So there was another election in 1918 that women were allowed to vote in. Oh, and I have some rules that were laid down for women, which like oh, no. of all the problems that were going on at the time, definitely putting restrictions on women voting. Well, first off, giving women the right to vote in 1918, giving, and then mm-hmm. putting restrictions on who can vote definitely seems like something that should have taken up a lot of brain capacity at the time of all this shit happening. Exactly. Yeah. So... For a woman to vote in the 1918 uh, general election, they had to be over the age of 30 who were property owners or wives of property owners or university graduates. Uh, Or they just had to be married to a man. I hate that. I absolutely hate that. That's awful. Well, and I mean, like, it's like, it's 1918. Like, in 1917, they couldn't even vote. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I just was like, this is the problem that we want to that we want to focus on, right? Come the fuck on, yeah. Anyways, that was just my little side note there. I want to throw in. Yeah, no, that um, that sucks. <laughs> like, it's just annoying. Like I'm like, people are literally dying, and you're like, mm, 29, unmarried, can't vote. Right, exactly. Oh, get bent. <laughs> I would have been. They would have called me a witch. <laughs> Uh, Trouble instantly erupted in the North in 1921 as the Ulster Volunteer Force was revived to fight in the campaign of violence launched by the Irish Republican Army, or the IRA, and thus Northern Ireland was born. The escalation of violence made an Irish solution urgent. There was no longer time to deal with the Ulster question. In May uh, of 1921, the Government of Ireland Act was passed, splitting Ireland into two. Mm -hmm. Six predominantly Protestant counties in Ulster became known as the North, and the remaining 26 counties formed part of the 
South. The South was established as the Irish Free Zone, which had dominion status within the British Commonwealth, although not full independence. That was granted in 1937, when a new constitution abolished the Irish Free State and proclaimed Ear as an independent sovereign state. Um, it's just, yeah, it's so crazy. It's like, okay, fine. You can have half, but not really half. We'll give you a, a, a fifth. Yeah. It's just so, yeah, it's so strange. I have a solution. <laughs> it's a Band-Aid. Yeah. Here's some. Regardless of what we just said, calm prevailed for several decades in Northern Ireland, owed in large part to the rule of Prime Minister Viscount Brookenborough. Brookaborough, who was in office for 20 years. His political allegiance with the Ulster Unionists marginalized the Catholic minority both socially and politically. Uh, again, can I just jump in here? Peter has yes. a side note now. Okay. Um, it's so crazy. Like They have been fighting since we started this in the 1100s. Yeah. So they've been fighting for 800 years. And all it took for calm to prevail for several decades... <laughs> Was for them to just get some. Yeah. Again, they got six of 30 counties. Reasonable people. And that's all it took. <laughs> I just find that interesting. With the advent of better education as a result of the introduction of the welfare state and the equal opportunities it entailed, the disparities within the Northern Ireland community were highlighted. The situation was exacerbated. I hate that word. The situation was exacerbated in the 1960s, Northern Ireland, which had been relatively prosperous in the immediate years after World War II, now suffered the same economic fate as the mainland, which was in economic decline. Burkeborough fell from power, his inability to deal with the situation causing the members of his own party to turn against him. You see it all the time. Mm -hmm. Former Army officer Terence O'Neill. Oh, we had a Hugh O'Neill. Yeah, the Earl of Tyrone. The Earl of Tyrone, now it's Terence O'Neill, was appointed in his place. O'Neill introduced a series of measures to address Northern Ireland's social, economic, and political issues. Amongst his many radical moves, he met with the Republic of Ireland's Prime Minister, Sean Lamas, which was the first meeting between the two factions in 40 years. <laughs> that 40 years of quote-unquote peace. They just were like, uh, uh, is it... Is it Brookaborough again? I'm not answering his calls. That's no. how they got 40 years of peace. They just <laughs> ghosted him. Yeah. His new attitude raised hopes for Catholics, but was a cause for concern for Protestants. Then, on the 50th anniversary of the Battle of the Somme and the Easter Rising in 1966, violence erupted. Mm -hmm. Three years later, in 1969, the Provisional IRA, or the PIRA, was formed a breakaway from the main part of the IRA. Like the IRA itself, the PIRA demanded the unification of Ireland, advocating civil rights, and represented Catholic interests. Unlike the IRA, it was prepared to fuck shit up in a means <laughs> to achieve its ends. A small force of British troops was also deployed to Northern Ireland, pitted against the Pyra, Pyra, the British army conducted house-to-house -house searches and imposed a curfew. Rather than diminishing the power of the Pyra, um, <laughs> can never diminish <laughs> the power. The pyra. Um, more, that was good. Thank more you. people were driven into its ranks. Another one of those martyr situations. This was evident on 
January 30th, 1972, when the Army controversially suppressed rioting at a civil rights march in Derry in a day that became known as Bloody Sunday. The resulting death toll of 14 civil rights protesters fed into the hands of the PIRA. More recruits flooded into their ranks. In return, more British troops were deployed to this area because why not? (laughs) Because the solution can only be more guns. Yeah. By 1973, plans were discussed for a new Northern Ireland Assembly elected by proportional representation in which Protestants and Catholics would share power. What? <laughs> what, 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 what? Known as the Sunningdale Agreement, Unionists were split by the agreement since it raised the possibility that the Republic could have a voice in Northern Ireland. Despite staunch opposition to Sunningdale in the form of a referendum in which anti-agreement Unionists won 11 of Northern Ireland's 12 parliamentary seats, the agreement was signed at the end of 1973. The new government was shaky at best, and by May of of 1974, turmoil had reached a head. The Ulster Workers' Council, a coalition of Protestant trade unionists, called for a general strike in the province. And loyalist bombs exploded throughout <laughs> Dublin uh-huh, and Monaghan, killing 32 people in the worst day of the Troubles. By the end of May, those who had been in favor of Sunningdale resigned. Direct rule was immediately reinstated and would remain so for the next 25 years. Over the next decade, various different peace initiatives were both suggested and tested, but none led to peace in the region. Relations between the Republic of Ireland and Britain became more strained upon the declassification of parliamentary prisoners from a, quote, special category that gave them similar rights as prisoners of war to simply ordinary criminals. Seen as an affront to their vision that they were fighting a war, something the British government would not concede, pirate prisoners embarked on a series of protests, most significantly hunger strikes. Ten hunger strikers died in prison. Mm. Even though Margaret Thatcher was not a... This is another one that, yeah. I I didn't know how to change it. I couldn't change it. I didn't know how to change it either. All right. Even though Margaret Thatcher was not in a conciliatory mood after narrowly escaping an IRA bomb at a Conservative Party conference in Hmm. Brighton in October of 1984, she could not dismiss the rising popularity of Sinn Féin or overlook the continued violence in the region. It is tough to overlook that when people are trying to blow you up. In 1985, she signed the Anglo-Irish Agreement, which outlined that Northern Ireland would remain independent of the Republic as long as that represented the will of the majority in the North. At the same time, it set up the Intergovernmental Conference, which gave the Republic a voice on security and political issues. So by 1985, like this is just a few years before I was born. This stuff is still going on. Yeah. Crazy. The light had not been turned out on tensions in the region, which resonate to this day, but as a result of several initiatives, most specifically the 1994 paramilitary... Oh my God, I can't believe I nailed that. I just shocked myself with how how nicely that came out. Anyways, paramilitary ceasefires in Northern Ireland and the Good Friday Agreement of 1998, which saw direct rule of Northern Ireland being placed in the hands of locally elected government, a much more peaceful era had emerged. Since the 1920s, when Northern Ireland was officially separated from Ireland, it has been tormented by sectarian violence. Notwithstanding the peacemaking efforts uh, that began in the mid-1990s, Northern Ireland is still navigated by those 
navigated best by those who are skilled in the shibboleths and cultural codes that govern the people, including which football teams to cheer for, which whiskey to drink, and which songs to sing. The capital is Belfast, a modern city which historic or whose historic center was badly damaged by aerial bombardment during World War II. Once renowned for its shipyards, the Titanic was built there. Uh, you know, that famously well-built ship. <laughs> uh, Belfast has lost much of its industrial base. Um Northern Ireland occupies about one-sixth of the island of Ireland and is separated on the east from Scotland, another part of the United Kingdom, by the narrow North Channel, which is at one point only 21 kilometers wide. The Irish Sea separates Northern Ireland from England and Wales on the east and southeast, respectively, and the Atlantic Ocean lies to the north. The southern and western borders are with the Republic of Ireland. And... That is where we're going to leave off the story of Northern Ireland and how it got to be. Yeah. Um, I guess I would like to wrap it up by doing my favorite thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, there is a Titanic Belfast, which is the museum about the sunken ocean liner. Mm. Uh, it has a 4.5 out of 5 star Google review rating. Out of 22,158 reviews. Shocking. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, I looked through a couple of the one-star reviews. And this one, it, it honestly makes me feel a little sad. But I also was like, this is kind of funny. So one star, Graham Woods says, If you are a large person, don't try the Titanic ride. The safety bar is only designed for thin people. And so you are humiliated by getting off the ride to jeers from the awaiting crowd. Terrible experience. Jeez. Graham, I am sorry. Yeah. I Jeers from the awaiting crowd? Right. First off, you should write a book. Mm-hmm. Second off, uh, jeers? Yeah, I also like that. That's a horrible experience. But I, I also feel like the... The jeering awaiting crowd isn't necessarily the place's fault. Like they just let in some assholes that day. Unless they hire people to jeer those who can't right, make it Right, they have professional jeerers. Right, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, though, there's a museum about how Belfast built Titanic. The hmm. Titanic. Yeah. Fun. Interesting. <laughs> um, so there you go. The story of Northern Ireland. A... Uh, basically uh, boils down to, or broils down, depending on how you like to cook your uh, conflict. From from the top down. Uh, Broiled. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It it all boils down to disagreements from two religious sides that when you go through them, aren't all that different. Basically, we are the same. Yeah, it's just, (laughs) yeah, it's basically one of them wrote out a thing and then the other one did the Joey Tribbiani where I'm just going to look for a synonym to all these things. And that's, (laughs) It's much more complicated than that, but it sums it up. Like it's, it's uh, as with most things that we're going to discuss on this show, um, way too many people died over something as silly as this whole thing. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Coming back week after week. And uh, would you like to say what we're going to do next week? I think you should. Okay, great. We are going to talk about some female... Uh, political leaders yeah history we just had an election um in this country huge groundbreaking absolutely monumental changes yes did not take place no 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 the 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 biggest 
seat movement was uh, the NDP gained four. So, yeah. you know, monumental. Uh, but yeah, we thought this was a, a good time to, to look at um, yeah, female leaders of, of history. So we're yeah. going to run through some of the hits. Unfortunately, not a ton to pick from. Well, um, I mean, that's why we're not going to do male leaders of history because... That's just history. Yeah. That's basically just leaders of history. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're... <laughs> She's we're, a witch! <laughs> yeah. The, the ones who survived uh, the, the witchcraft, we will discuss next <laughs> week. Uh, looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. I, I look forward to all great. of them. I, I don't think we've had one that I'm like, ugh, this is going to suck. Ugh, you know what? Talking about nuclear meltdowns was a huge bummer. <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. I looked. I look forward to every single topic we pick. That's the great, like the positive to to having your own show. Mm-hmm. I look forward to everything we pick because we pick it. That's true. Uh, if you want to help us pick it, you can email us at we had no idea podcast at gmail.com. and we are on Instagram at we had no idea podcast. Yes. So remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible, and that's it. Bye. 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 Penal. Penal.